Welcome to God's Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be talking about Isaiah 5, the famous parable of the vineyard, a parable, extended metaphor. This is uh, what's going on here where a scenario is being built to give us some insight into the divine world. And I have pulled up this book, The Suffering of God by Terence Fretheim. And I'm, I'm saying that correctly now because I know how to say his name right. Uh, Terence Fretheim, he writes this book and in it he describes metaphor. He states, Black's formation is helpful. A memorable metaphor has the power to bring two separate domains into cognitive and emotional relation by using the language directly appropriate to one as a lens for seeing the other. So, so keep that in mind. This is how metaphor works. You take a familiar concept and you map it onto an unfamiliar concept. It, metaphors provide information. Metaphors provide insight and an ability to see the truth of one thing through the lens of another thing. Metaphors communicate something of value to the observer. It's not like what the Calvinists claim with uh, anthropomorphism, that it doesn't provide us any oversight, any, any overlap between cognitive domains, that one thing needs to be separate from another, where God repents uh, doesn't map on meaningfully to God doing anything because God's immutable and outside of time and simple and doesn't change. That, that's not a meaningful metaphor. Metaphors overlap cognitive domains, familiar aspects of one domain to understand another domain. It communicates something of value. Reading on, in other words, a conventional understanding of a matter, e.g. a body, a parent, becomes a window through which we can gain insight into another matter, usually uh, less well-known, e.g. the church and God. A metaphor always has the duality of association, the surface associations drawn from life as experienced, and the analogical association. But insight into the latter can be attained and indeed retained only by reflecting on the former in relationship to it. Such insight comes not only through observing what is similar between the two terms, but also through that which is different. Crucial to a proper understanding of a metaphor is both the recognition of both similarity and difference. God is a parent. Of course, God doesn't spawn us out of his uh, stomach like a woman would. And uh, he's not like a biological parent. But when we think about parent, what do we think about? We think nurturing. We think safety. We think protection. We think guidance, uh, training. In all these ways, God is our father. There, there's, there's cognitive domain overlap between the two. It's not one for one. A one for one correlation though. He's not our genetic father. He didn't birth us in, in a normal birthing process. He doesn't uh, uh, play basketball with us uh, in, in, a, in the sense that we would we would consider fatherly. He doesn't uh, play video games with us, anything like that. But we do understand the concept of father when it's applied to God. And we just have to use kind of our common sense to try to figure out what is applicable and what's not. There is a danger in overextending metaphor and there is a danger in underextending that metaphor. So we turn to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5 is an extended metaphor. It's a parable. Let me sing of my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. That's elect vines, elect. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. So let's notice a few things about what is set up. It, it's it's going to be paralleled pretty quickly here. And the great thing about this parable is that it is explained. The metaphor of the cognitive domains for those who are slow of wit is actually explained such that we could understand the overlap between the scenario being set up and actuality. That it, It's not, as Calvinists think, going from one metaphor to an anthropomorphism. That doesn't communicate anything of value. It's instead going from metaphor to the reality of the situation. It's, it's giving us insight into what is happening in reality, then it describes exactly what's happening in reality. You can't dismiss the explanation of the metaphor as itself being a metaphor. You, it just doesn't work like that. It's uh, you, you think that's like a metaphor inception, that now you have to read the explanation of the metaphor, and that itself is to be ignored and not indicative of reality. That's not what's going on here. So look at what's happening. God has some sort of vineyard. Uh, and the vineyard's Israel. The vineyard owner is God. And he he dug, digs it up and he clears it. And then he he plants the right seeds. He even, he even prepares a wine press. And someone who knows that uh, grapes are not going to be produced in their vineyard is not going to build a wine press. Why did God build the wine press if he knew that these people would not develop into good grapes? The, the parable it is explaining failed expectations. God expected, he looked for it, he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. I don't know how clearer you can get with failed expectations. This is failed expectations. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Let's think about that. Who is the judge? Jerusalem is asking to weigh in on the situation that was just presented them. So it's they're not being treated like they're idiots. Like this is just baby talk, goo goo gaga for them to just kind of, oh, my mind is so, so fragile. They are being asked to use discretion to look at the situation and figure out what's going on here and read it on face value and give a determination. They are put in the seat of judge. This happens throughout the Bible. People are treated as rational creatures, which can understand situations, scenarios, and are capable, have volition, and as a result, are in fact guilty of their rebellion. They, they don't have excuse, as Paul writes, that people don't have excuse. If, if they're idiots, if they don't understand anything, if they don't have any connection to the divine realm, they do have excuses. But in the Bible, people are treated like rational, volitional people who can understand what's going on. People are smart. Isaiah 5.4, what more was there to do to my vineyard that I had not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Now, this is reinforcing what we already read. God expected grapes. It yielded wild grapes. And he's asking the people to judge, what more could I do? Is there anything else that I could have done that I hadn't already done? I expected normal grapes. Why did it yield wild grapes? They are supposed to judge the situation and say, well, what else could he have done? 
They're, they're supposed to offer something constructive. And the rhetorical answer is he did everything he could. There's no reason not for it to yield normal grapes. Instead, it yielded wild grapes, failed expectations, being described again a second time, and people are supposed to judge and come to the same conclusion. Note that thrust in this passage. People are supposed to come to the conclusion that God's expectations failed, that God did everything he can, and what he expected to happen did not materialize. People are supposed to naturally understand this from the parable. And, you know, uh, we're, we're told in modern uh, Christianity, God did expect wild grapes. It's just not what's going on here. And now I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and the briars on thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. So he's punishing this thing. These wild grapes, which he expected to be good grapes and turned out to be wild grapes, now he is uh, passing some sort of exasperated punishment upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So God was searching for justice. God was searching for righteousness, but could not find it. He had expectations which failed. He expected Israel to be good, to be peaceable, to not be murderers, not be warmongers. Uh, but instead, instead of uh, righteousness, he got outcry. He got a rebellious people. This is the meaning of the parable. It is, is explained for us. It's not guesswork. <laughs> when the parable is explained, it's not guesswork what's going on. So let's talk about overextending the metaphor. Turning back to Fretheim, he writes this. Steering between these two poles, overextending the metaphor and not going far enough, how does one move from metaphor to essential definition? By interpreting along the metaphorical grain and not contrary to it, by following the thrust of the analogy, if one moves against the natural implication of the metaphor, one is misinterpreting it. At the same time, while the metaphor primarily generates insight into the divine reality at the basic thrust of the analogy, it also does so much more indirectly at those points where it is discontinuous with the reality, which is God. So let's turn back here. So let's say the Calvinist wants to overextend the metaphor. What are they going to do? They're going to say, well, plants don't have volition. Plants are just playthings in, in the, the planter's hands. And uh, so that's telling us that we have no free will and we are just uh, products of nature. But I think that's overextending the metaphor and we might have some indication of that. First of all, the planter is thwarted. The planter expected something and did not get something. So whatever this plant is, it's not something that is being controlled by the planter. Furthermore, when this parable is explained, it looks like the people have volition, right? God is looking for justice, but, but behold, bloodshed, which implies volition, that the people have a choice. The people are thinking rational creatures. They're not dead, uh, static things to be manipulated uh, without any individual will, anything like that. It says that he looks for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. All of these things suggest God is being thwarted. He's being thwarted by free will creatures, and that, when we read the parable, is the thrust of the parable. God's expectations are thwarted. 
So one thing I really like about biblical metaphor, biblical parable, is often these parables are explained. And guess what? It's always in favor of the open theists. Uh, God and the potter, that is explained. And guess what? It's about God's changing actions in, in response to unexpected situations. When the parables are explained, it never goes in the way of Calvinism. It never goes into the way of a set ordained future that's uh, irrevocable. It always goes into God is relational. God is uh, has his own volition. God is not bound by fate. God can do things. And God is a thinking, rational person. God is living. God is dynamic. And that's what it stresses above all. God wants a relationship. This relationship is continuously thwarted. God reacts to changing circumstances. This is all change. God sets up a kingdom for good. That kingdom rebels and then he tears it down. God responds to events. That's the meaning of this parable. It, it's, it's hard to miss. You have to willfully and maliciously do it. You have to maliciously claim that he expected this. Where the entire thrust is God is searching and not finding. God expects and it does not materialize. God's expectations are thwarted. That's the thrust of the parable. As Terence Fretheim writes, that is going along the metaphorical grain. Anyways, questions, comments, put that below. Thank you for listening. <laughs>